Hello and welcome to Iceland Review. My name is Eric Pomeranke and we are joined today in the studio with Iceland Review editor Greta Sigurdir Einarsdóttir. And we're going to be discussing her recent piece on the 2023 eruption Live Laugh Lava. For the third year in a row, there's a volcanic eruption on the Reykjanes Peninsula, only a stone's throw away from the city center. This eruption marks a pattern. With around 300 days between eruptions, geologists' predictions of a new eruption phase for the long-dormant volcano system seem to be coming to fruition. For visitors to the island, as well as the locals themselves, this series of tourist-friendly eruptions has been welcomed, with thousands of hikers making their way up to see lava gushing forth from the crater down into the field below, the freshest rock on earth. The artist. Raun Fleenring is an illustrator whose 2022 book Volcano documents a journey to see the eruption. The idea for the book first sparked with the earthquakes, Raun tells me. I felt them settle in my body. It was just a physical foreplay to what would later occur. Raun was interested enough in volcanic eruptions to have hiked to the eruption at the popular hiking trail Fimverðuhals in 2010. But during the first two Reykjanes eruptions, she hiked to see them 16 times. I went there and I had such a peculiar moment. I was completely captivated by it all. And since I'm so used to interpreting experiences through images, that's where my mind went. For Raun, what intrigued her was the scope of the event, as well as the smallness of the people viewing it. It's so photogenic, with all that power spitting from the ground. It's the biggest thing you ever saw. And looking at people has always been such a big part of my work. The extremes of power, the danger involved the humanity on display, the grilling on the lava, the nagging about stuff and the visitors breaking their ankles. All the small things that we keep dealing with even when faced with something so incredible. For Raun, it's not just about the volcano, but the contrast with the mundanity of human life. The book, to me, is a collection of scenes capturing that journey. It's a narrative, but it's also documentation of all the strange things that happened there. People painting portraits, pitching tents, getting married. The interest in the volcano comes not only from the shiny spectacle of the lava flow, but also from a morbid attraction to danger. There's a dissonance to the way people act and what they experience. You're standing there, and if something happens, you don't have a chance. We can't fathom it. It's so monumental that we instead start to focus on where we left the spoon from our yogurt and trying to get a phone signal. According to Raun, seeing a mountain come into existence puts all landscapes you've ever seen in a new context. You start seeing the mountains all around you in a different light. It's the beginning of something new. You start to understand everything around you in a new way. She pauses before bursting out. And don't get me started on the protective fences. During the first eruption, authorities experimented with the construction of barriers intended to slow or divert the lava. They were an instant failure, with lava reaching and crossing the barriers in a matter of days after their construction. 
I'm fascinated with our unfailing belief in our power to change things. Tiny little excavators piling up earth to try to stop a lava flow that looks like it's straight out of Mordor. There are so many things to talk about. Then there was the scientist who predicted that there wouldn't be an eruption at precisely the wrong moment and ended up sharing the front page with the eruption as it happened. Pictorially speaking, for an illustrator, the lava presented both opportunities and challenges. There are such sharp contrasts between the dark black and the neon orange of the lava, she says. For Raun, there's also this visually hostile element to it. It's not ugly, but it evokes a comparison with the underworld. There's something dead in the rock. It's rough and rocky and covers the moss and all the plants. It surprised me, the ugliness of it. It's more than the romantic ideal of the sublime. You get a real sense of the destructive power of nature to the point of hostility, the contrast between what we generally consider as nature, the lush and the green, and this dark nature, the black and fiery side of it. That's also what nature is. In her book, Raun conveys her fascination with the eruption while taking care not to imprint her own narrative on it. It's so easy to try to put this into a meaningful context somehow. A birth of something, or a warning about something else. But that's something I didn't want to do. I wouldn't dream of attributing some kind of message or meaning to the eruption. There's no message. It's so much bigger than us. Round trails off. But then again, I hate interpreting my own work. The Information Officer Samskiftastjóri almannavarnardeildar ríkislöreglustjóra Try saying that five times fast. Hjördís Guðmundsdóttir is the communications officer of the National Police Commissioner's Department of Civil Protection and Emergency Management. Right now, her business is volcanoes, but at the time, it was another disaster that led her to civil protection. I've been working with the Department of Civil Protection since September 2020, Hjördís tells me. I started as the web editor for COVID.is, the authority's official pandemic response website. I was on a temporary contract that kept getting renewed every time we thought COVID was ending, but then it didn't. Then COVID wound down, but they found that they had gotten used to having someone in the role of keeping people informed. Hjördís has been busy since the country's efforts to curb the pandemic wound down. It's my third eruption, in my third year on the job, that's pretty damn good, she jokes. This isn't her first brush with volcanoes either. Back in 2010, I was working as an information officer for Isavia, the Keplavik airport operator, when Eyjafjallajökull erupted. That was a lot of fun. The whole world was learning about the effects of volcanic ash on aeroplane engines at the same time. All of a sudden, it was my job to teach them. Then during COVID, a spur-of-the-moment vacation took her to Tenerife, shortly before the 2021 eruption on the nearby island La Palma. People have started to link me to volcanic eruptions. People have mentioned that it's not a good idea to be around me when I'm on vacation. She's worked hard for that reputation, twice now attempting to take her summer holiday just as an eruption began on the peninsula. Last year, I'd had my out-of-office notification on for two hours when the eruption started. This time, I'd had time to get to my summer house 
and was in the hot tub when the eruption started. Two hours later, I was live on the news. Even though they've been through something similar before, each eruption brings new challenges. You can never really say it's business as usual. During the first eruption, there was also an ongoing COVID outbreak. We spent a lot of time talking about the rope meant to aid hikers up a steep path, Hjertis explains. The COVID rope had the nation concerned over the possibility of a new outbreak among volcano visitors. Then for the next one, we had to deal with many more tourists in the area, she continues. And this time around, we have to deal with brush fires. But of course, it runs a little smoother with each incident. In her job, getting information to the different types of people visiting the eruption is the biggest challenge, especially foreign visitors. There are two types of visitors we have to think about. The people who seek out the information and the people who aren't interested in learning about warnings and restrictions. They want to do as they please. Hjördis notes that in Iceland, matters of safety and security out in nature may differ from other countries. We aren't used to putting up fences and forbidding entry. We prefer to inform and guide when it comes to nature. We're hoping to be able to continue to do so, so we won't have to become a country of fences. For that to happen, we need our guests to listen to information, learn about our nature and follow guidelines. Of course, most people do. But even if the lava has turned black, that doesn't mean that it's gone cold. It's immensely hot, hotter than a crematorium, she says. It can be tiresome to explain to people that the reason something is forbidden is to ensure people's safety. Some people wonder why everyone has to take the same route to the eruption, but that way we know where they are when they need help. Nobody thinks they're going to need the search and rescue team's help until they do. But Hjördis notes that you can't get bogged down with the incidents where people misbehave. If there's one thing about this job, you have to make sure you don't get too cynical. I understand why they're doing this. When you've seen an eruption, you know. I hiked to the Fimverdehals eruption on a whim because a friend of mine asked to borrow my camera. I never thought I needed to see an eruption, but I decided to join her, and I'll never forget this moment, the exhilarating power. It's such a cliché, but it's such an experience. Walking up on the hill, hearing the earth rumble and seeing the lava splutter. So I completely understand that people want to see this. The search and rescue volunteer. For Telma Ruth Eriksdóttir, the eruption is a family affair. Her husband and she both volunteer for the local search and rescue team, Thorbjörn, and she is also on its board. The kids were annoyed when the eruption happened this summer. They knew what it meant, she laughs. They simply went, ugh, so no camping trips this summer either. Instead, they're witnessing a natural disaster in real time. They come to the SAR house, spend time with us and do what they can. They feel they're a part of the whole. They don't get to go up to the eruption site, however. As their parents well know, a trip to the eruption can change into a search and rescue mission in a matter of minutes, and that's no child's play. They got to go to the first eruption, but then they asked kids to stay away from the second one. With each new eruption, the hikes have gotten a little more challenging. But that didn't stop them from trying. They tried all their persuasive power, showed up at the coordination headquarters and asked for a meeting with the police. 
but there's no sense in taking a 10-year-old on a 20-kilometer hike. Telma is very familiar with that long hike, as she and the rest of her squad are the ones who create the hiking trails. The fires make the hike awful, the smoke is noxious, she notes. For a SAR volunteer at the volcano, the one rule is to expect the unexpected. A short trip could easily turn into a search for a lost hiker, she explains. She and her fellow volunteers are the boots on the ground. You meet plenty of people on the way. You meet plenty of people on the way, and my experience is that the majority of people are grateful for our work and appreciate our presence there. I haven't met many impolite people, and I don't think those cases are representative of the majority. She pauses. But people's awareness varies, and you can easily tell the people who won't take no for an answer. Most people are willing to listen and take the necessary safety precautions. When asked if the eruptions are getting dull at this point, Telma shakes her head. It's as impressive every time. There's a certain charm to having a volcano erupt practically in your backyard. Although we're not as eager and excited as we once were. During the first eruption, people were ready to miss school, work and sleep to go take a shift at the eruption site. It's not just Telma's three sons who are indirect participants in the operation. At times, it feels like the whole town is involved. The three eruptions have been preceded by a series of earthquakes, and the people of Grindavik have become experts in seismic activity. This round of earthquakes was rather gentle. It felt like being gently rocked, Telma explains. But the constant threat of earthquakes can take its toll. It's not comfortable, the earthquakes, Telma admits. After the big quake that preceded the eruption last year, You're always on your toes, waiting for another one. Will something be damaged? Will someone get hurt? While they've been lucky so far, the next eruption always poses a new threat. When the quakes are happening, you're wondering where the next eruption will come up. Where will I be? Where will my children be? She pauses for a bit, pondering the situation before giving a grounded shrug and saying, but it's not too bad. The locals are seeing their surrounding landscape change in real time. It's a strange feeling. We're losing some green spaces under lava fields. And we won't be traveling in some regions for the next few years due to the heat in the lava. But the big picture is that they're seeing a momentous event unfold. It's fun to be able to walk around your neighborhood saying, I saw this mountain being created, and over there I watched the earth rip apart. Some even made eruption viewing a part of their exercise regimen. My dad was a self-proclaimed eruptionaholic during the last one. He'd bike up to the path and jog to the eruption during his lunch hour. The third eruption has tentatively established a pattern, but Telma is aware that anything could happen. We have no control over something so big. Will it continue like this, and for how long? Will there be more eruptions? Where will this end? As for the squad, they had to get volcano ready on the job. We've had to make extensive preparations to respond and be ready. When it comes to vehicles, machinery, safety equipment and so on. They've also had to communicate the limits of their duty to the general public. We've needed to get people to understand that while we're dedicated to saving everyone we can, we will not endanger our own lives to do so. We will not step onto glowing hot lava to go get someone who wasn't respecting closures, 
the helicopter pilot. Reynir Freyr Pétursson has been working as a helicopter pilot since 2005. It's the best job in the world. If I ever stop loving it, I'll simply quit. For a pilot in Iceland, a volcanic eruption will affect your work a whole lot. Since he started, Reynir has seen every volcano that has erupted from the air. It's changed now, he explains. You used to have to be ready to go out at a moment's notice if an eruption was happening, because everyone wanted to be the first to get photos of the eruption, members of the press as well as the scientists. For the latest eruption, webcams were pointed at the area waiting for the first gush of lava, and as soon as it surfaced, drone photographers were at the spot getting their perfect shots of flowing lava. The Reykjanes eruptions differ from other eruptions in that scientists have been able to predict the volcanic outbursts. No one was expecting Fimverdehals. We just had to get out there as soon as we heard, Reiner explains. The latest satellite technology is pretty amazing. Despite having flown hundreds of times to eruptions over the country, Reiner doesn't tire of the phenomenon. It's amazing to see a volcano for the first time, especially on its first day. I've been lucky enough to catch a few like that. In comparison to some earlier eruptions, the latest ones in the Reykjanes Peninsula are small potatoes. The Holyhrun eruption in 2014 was massive, but no matter the size, it's always impressive, he tells me. While the spectacle of lava erupting from a crater is hard to compete with, Holyhrun features the 5-kilometer fissure spewing massive amounts of lava into Iceland's highlands. It was also much farther from the city limits, making the journey to see it much more difficult. I and some other pilots had actually talked about this back in 2018 or 2019, how nice it would be to get a small, non-dangerous eruption close to the city, perfect for easy trips on the helicopter. Sounds like someone or something was listening. Of course, the best thing about it is that it isn't threatening people's homes or lives. For a helicopter pilot in Iceland, July and August are the busiest months, so the eruption comes at a time when the choppers are mostly booked, although many customers ask to change their trip's itinerary for the chance to see a live eruption. It would have been great to get an eruption in the fall, but I'm not complaining. Well, thank you for sharing the piece today, Greta. And for anybody who lives under a rock, uh, it's uh, just worth mentioning that as we're recording this, the eruption is officially over. At least it's paused. Well, yes. I mean, I guess also to be pedantic, I mean, I guess uh, maybe there's a way in which uh, like this is all technically the same eruption. So, I mean, it's really just kind of like a pause uh, because it's all coming from the same source. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, it's all coming from the same volcano system. and But I, I think we can call it a series of, of eruption rather than uh, one uh, with many episodes. I was just referring to the fact that uh, the scientists are very reluctant to declare anything over or done until they're absolutely for sure certain. Yes, um, certainly last year uh, that announcement uh, was rather um, ill-timed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> The thing is, it's, it must be hard to be a, a geologist, especially in Iceland, where it's a much more uh, current um, field of study uh, mm. than in other other countries where the rocks are older. Because, uh, I mean, we know a lot of things about eruptions now, but you never know what's going to happen next. Mm. 
And every single geologist that speaks on the news is always like, uh, based on what we do know and what has happened before, this might happen, but it also might not. <laughs> so I really enjoyed listening to your conversation with Raun um, because I think a lot of those things were things that I had thought about before, but in my own way. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, actually, as uh, we were editing this piece, uh, we also had a little bit of a debate over what really does this word sublime mean? Yes. And <laughs> I think that's I, I, I think that's worth revisiting uh, <laughs> briefly because, you know, it's like, yeah, like in the classical sense, like this word, you know, like has both of these meanings in it. Uh, you know, it's like one dangerous and terrifying uh but then on the other hand it's you know very beautiful and also maybe somehow attractive um but mm. then like this word is also kind of hard to use these days because it's you know it's like everything sublime i mean like food can be sublime yes um, it's sort of lost its uh its original meaning and watered down it a bit yeah but you know i mean i think like the interesting thing is that you know i mean art aesthetics is necessarily something that has to do with us, with people, with humans, mm. with our values, how we think of the world. And, and um, originally the word sublime was used to talk about, uh, you know, art or literature that uh, displayed this, uh, where you could manage to uh, convey this feeling of awe. Yeah, exactly. In art. So, I mean, it's very linked to human perception. Yeah, and it is, like, it's this thrill and danger but it's still something that is you know mediated through art and i think that like the big shock for a lot of people like when they see these live eruptions is like maybe this isn't really like a word that makes sense but how unaesthetic it is as in it's not art it's not like a beautifully edited photo it is just raw geology yeah and just boiling heat it is no, it's not in any sense uh, uh, has to do with humans. Yeah. Like it's... Yeah, it's, it just has nothing to do with it us. It has I nothing think to do with... Yeah, and it feels like in that way it's it's sort of almost like Lovecraftian where the, the terror emanates from the fact that this you're not even a factor in this yeah, yeah. It is, they're not your enemy they don't care about you <laughs> you're not yeah and i think it like it like it's very at odds with this style of you know i think that we've all seen these social media uh, images and like these instagram reels and stuff where there's like a very kind of similar style where you take video from these eruptions and mm. you maybe kind of put some minimal electronic music over the video or something and there's just like like i think there's like a very accepted way of like how we stylize this yeah and i think like when a lot of people come to confront this in reality there's just this really big gap all of a sudden. And I think that's really interesting. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, yeah, you see all sorts of things on, on social media and you see some beautiful photos, uh, social media, culture of aesthetics aside. Um, <laughs> but just the experience of standing there, uh, it's, it's overwhelming in a way that it's hard to capture in photos. Um, it's just the, you hear the earth rumbling like there's nothing like that sound. It's it's you know mm. actually tearing apart and spewing its guts out in front of you. Uh, 
You feel I was the actually heat? really struck uh, the first eruption that I went to. I was struck by this constant crackling sound that's yes. around the eruption because all of the rock is, you know, kind of solidifying, but then it's kind of growing and expanding and mm. everything's just kind of crackling and crunching the whole time. Yeah, the soundscape of, uh, of volcanic eruption is uh, hard to describe, but it's definitely something to experience. And yeah. I mean, when I was there for the first uh, first uh, eruption, uh, they it would spew they had a, had had a, these sort of like uh, geysers of lava. Sort of, they would mm, break yeah. for a while, and then there would be a gush, big gush of lava, and you would see the big gush of lava come out, and then it would quiet down a bit, and then you would feel like tiny little uh, pebbles yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hit you, uh, <laughs> just like fresh rock falling from the giant ash cloud above you. It was pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think that I've mentioned this before, but I mean, I. I think that for me, the most striking thing about seeing these eruptions in person is just the color orange mm. uh, that you see in the lava sometimes, which is a color that doesn't really appear anywhere else in nature except maybe some photographs of like the sun. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and it's this bright orange that isn't really a color as much as it is just pure heat. heat. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and that's also sort of what Raon uh in my conversation with her, found so fascinating both that just because uh, she is an illustrator, uh, uh, just the the visual contrast of the neon orange, and like you said, the the glowing hot orange and the black, but also just the uh, you know when you're confronted with something so great, and that's what the you know we're romantics we're trying to capture with the word sublime. It's you <laughs> sort of you feel so small and insignificant and it reminds you in, in a perverse way, it reminds you how good it is to be alive because you uh, yeah, are yeah. reminded of the possibility that you might die. It was actually a very common motif in 19th century German romantic painting uh, to have like, you know, like this kind of wander above the sea of mist scene, but then like shipwrecks mm. and like to kind of have this lone individual like viewing a shipwreck. And I I, th I think that's like a very similar idea of like this catastrophe that you're witnessing and this kind of like raw natural power. And I mean, like, yes, death, um, but then something kind of life affirming about yeah, that. Yeah, th there's definitely, and I mean, humans have always sought out this uh, reminder to, just think about the whole genre of horror. I mean, what is yeah. that except people yeah. wanting to sort of like feel the thrill of the possibility of uh, something bad happening, feeling a little bit afraid, but it sort of reinvigorates your, uh, you know, thirst for, zest for life maybe. <laughs> I mean, Ch you can mention another article in the latest issue of Iceland Review, which is out now uh, about the, uh, people's fascination with uh, true crime yeah yep. and uh, there's a there's a huge trend of people loving uh, the true crime podcasts hearing about you know bone chilling murders and and um, other other crime but it's always been a part of like you said it's in essence it's the same as the shipper paintings or you know yeah, yeah. early literature murder ballads popular in country music. Yeah. 
So I admit that I actually did not make it to the most recent eruption. Um, and I suppose that's also a sign that I've lived in Iceland for long enough <laughs> that it wasn't kind of like sufficiently urgent. Um, and, you know, I mean, I'll admit that uh, it was also a little bit of a further hike this time around. And it's also never totally clear how long it's going to last. And I was just a little bit busy and I just didn't get around to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so, so I mean, Speaking of that, though, the thing that does strike me in some of your interviews with the locals is, nevertheless, um, yeah, I mean, like a certain excitement, uh, like 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 in my mind, uh, you know, it could totally be possible for this to just be like, oh, you know, one more eruption, it's a little bit blasé, it's a little bit, um, you know, been there, done that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, I think it is kind of interesting how still, like, the people that live around this in Grindavik that are, like, the most affected by it in the area, like, like this is still very much... Um, a thrilling for them yes, as well. Yeah. Yes, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> uh, every single person I talked to kept repeating, like, oh, I mean, it's such a, this, such a cliche, but just, like, seeing the display of, of raw power, uh, just... Uh, I mean, there's no way to be unaffected by that, even if it's the second or third or even fourth time you've seen an eruption. Um, Reiner, the helicopter pilot, uh, flew over the whole train eruption, mm. which was just the biggest in centuries. Um, so much, I don't have the exact number of cubic meters of lava that flowed out of that five-kilometer fissure, but it was a lot. <laughs> and just uh, for people who don't know off the top of their head, uh, this was... A very remote eruption, right? Yes, that was in the Central Highland. Yeah. Yeah. And the difference with this, of course, is that it's uh, just a half an hour drive from the city. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if everyone realizes uh, the... So on average, there's a volcanic eruption every four or five years, if you look at history over the past couple of centuries. Um, there have been very few deaths yep. related to volcanic eruptions. Yeah. If if anyone has uh, been affected by natural disasters in Iceland, it's been sometimes earthquakes, uh, but landslides and avalanches are much more dangerous yeah. um, than a volcanic eruption. So that's why people also, like it isn't, you don't really see it as a threat. They're... Um, while they can, of course, be very dangerous, and we, you know, people must heed all warnings, listen to all um, all the experts and what they say about if it's safe to visit an eruption. But it's it's a spectacle more than anything. Yeah. Just out of curiosity, what was the first ever eruption that you witnessed? Oh, I, I was the Reykjanes eruption, the first one. I had never gone to see one before. So just 2021? 20, 21, yeah. yeah. I never I never took a, a helicopter trip up to the Balabunga once or the or the Efel Ayogutl. Yeah. yeah uh, the it, first one I remember clearly is the, I think it was the 99 or 2000 eruption of Hekla. Okay, yeah. Because my uh, teacher went to see it and there was so many people that went to see it and were uh, trapped in bad weather <laughs> on the south coast. So we had a day off the next day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, uh, the 2021 uh, eruption was also the first time that I ever saw, uh, you know, live glowing lava. Uh, and but, these are, are small, I'm, I meant yeah, that. Yeah. These are the small ones. But I will say that um, the first ever time that I hiked uh, Lögeveger and then uh, Fimvetherhals was just uh, the year immediately following the Eyjafjallajökull eruption. Oh, right. um, yeah. And that was really cool because uh, the landscape was still just, I mean, like actually smoking. I mm-hmm. mean, like there were parts of the of the Fimvetherhals trail um, where, I mean, like the rocks were still hot to the touch and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and that was quite an experience yeah i can believe that i mean uh everywhere you go like i said there's no volcanic eruption on average every four or five years um everywhere you go you see uh some sign of volcanic activity or geothermal activity or you know asterisk glaciers or uh you know fresh lava fields or mossy overgrown lava fields i mean wherever you travel in iceland there's signs of how uh young the land is yeah yeah well uh thank you for coming in to talk today greta thank you deep north is the official podcast of iceland review the oldest continuously running english language publication in iceland covering community, nature, and culture. If you enjoyed listening, please consider subscribing to Ice on Review at our website.